Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. I am the college pastor here at Wildwood. As of July 1, we will have been here five years and started our six. And so it has been an incredible, incredible journey and opportunity to get to serve with you guys. And I think my wife would attest that I'm just as excited, just as passionate about college ministry as I was the second I got here, if not more, because when I got here, I was filled with excitement, but I also had this sense of terror of wondering what it is that I just got involved in, whereas now the terror is gone and it's just been replaced with excitement and passionate to see college students come to know their Lord Jesus as their Savior and to continue to move on. With that, I do want to share with you kind of an area of ministry that I actually spend a lot of time with students here at Wildwood, and really not just students here at Wildwood, but students who attend churches all over Norman through our partnership with Campus Crusade or Crew uh, Stateside. And through that partnership, what we do is we try to really focus on how to share your story. And by story, I simply mean what is your testimony? How is it that you stepped into a relationship with Jesus Christ? How has that relationship changed you? And how does it continue to change you as you grow in that relationship? And so over the course of each semester, I will take this last semester, we had about 20 who we sit down with and we begin to teach them how to share their story. Now, if you've ever come up with your testimony, what you will find is that it's actually pretty easy to come up with the events surrounding how it is that you stepped into a relationship with Christ. And then really, it's even easier to look at how that relationship has changed you. But the hard part is actually sharing it, right? We can generally come up with a story, but sharing it is a whole nother deal. And so what we do as ministry partners is we make sure that they have plenty of opportunity after they kind of write it out, after we teach them different different ways or segues in which they can engage in conversation, we send them out. We schedule several on-campus outreaches and we have several mission trips and will they, all of our students will be given an opportunity to share their story. And after they share that story, we will always come back and we will kind of debrief. How did it go? Uh, what did you learn? What are some of the conversations? And 100% of the time, every semester I've had, not just one, but generally multiple students who will make this statement to me. Jeremy, I get it. I understand why we are sharing our stories. I understand why evangelism is important. I even understand that the Bible calls us to share the greatest story that God's given us. I get it. But my story really isn't that great. There's not a lot to it. In fact, I would rather listen to everyone else's story than my own. And so in that moment, I use it as a very teaching moment for them, an opportunity. And so I will ask them this question. Well, tell me your story. And again, probably 90% of the time now, they will not tell me their story. What they will proceed to tell me is everyone else's story. They'll say, well, I've got this friend who, who we went out on campus with. His name's Zach, and he used to be a drug dealer. And one day he got shot in the leg, and as he was bleeding out, Jesus came to him and had a conversation. And he said, hey, I've got a new gang for you to roll in. I want you to be a part of my gang. And so he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And since then, he's just... Change campus ministry. He's one of our great leaders in the crew movement, and he's just bringing people to Christ like crazy. Or I went out a couple of weeks ago on the other time, and I, I was hanging out with my friend Mike, and he used to be in a death metal band. 
And the only gigs he ever played was Satan worship festivals. And so he's got this amazing story of how he worships Satan and, and there's this drug induced where, where God kind of came to him and said, hey, I've got a new gig for you. You're going to roll with me. And, and he accepted him. And since then, he's enrolled in the linguistics department at OU because he's going to translate the New Testament for tribal language all over Africa. I mean, that's a great story. And then I've got this other friend named Brian, and I don't quite understand it, but it's really fascinating. His story is made up of unicorns and ponies and rainbows, and, and it's just amazing. That's a story I want to hear. And so I will always say, that's great, that's their stories, but what I asked you was, tell me your story. And what they will say is, well, it's a simple, good old boy, southern Christian story. I grew up with a family who was Christian, who attended church, we were regular, I got to be a part of an excellent children's program, I know of one, but I got to be in part of an excellent children's program, and through that I understood that I could not have a relationship with Jesus unless it was through Jesus himself. And so I accepted him at the early age of six, seven, sometimes eight or nine, and I accepted him, and since then I've been living my life for Jesus. Now, I've tried to kind of uh, dirty that story up with the time I yelled at my mom, but the reality is I ended up apologizing to her or the time I thought about stealing, but I didn't steal. And so my story just isn't that great. And so what I want to walk us through this morning, because what I've realized in hearing this story from multiple students Every semester since I've been there, so five, five times ten, so ten semesters, I've heard this conversation or had this conversation. And what I've realized is that what we've unintentionally done as, as church and parachurch ministries is the stories that we tell are always those that are dark and gritty and full of addiction and, and full of sex and all these other elements. And we're like, that's bad. And then they meet Christ and then they do these miraculous things. Those are the stories we tell. And by only telling those stories, what we've unintentionally done is those who grow up in the church, those who have parents who do exactly what God calls us to do as parents, to grow their children up in the ways of the Lord, feel like they don't have a story worth sharing. And so when they come to me, I will walk them through the passage that we're going to walk through this morning. But before we do that, I do want to address one population that may be with us this morning. If you are here this morning and you have not stepped into a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to say two things to you. First, welcome. We are glad you are here. We hope that Wildwood is a safe place for you to kind of kick the tires of Christianity and to learn about it and figure it out. We want you to feel safe in that. And secondly, we hope that you will see a body who loves Jesus and wants to make him known. And my hope for you is that at the end, what you're going to realize is that our story is a lot like your story, but the endings are very, very different. And so my hope for you, and you can call me that Christian guy, but my hope for you is that at the end of this message, you'd like to make your ending what our ending is. And so with that, let's dive in the word together. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 1 through 9. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Read silently as I read this aloud. And you are dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. 
Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved through faith, and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7. So that... In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So this is a passage that's going to be our framework from which we're going to work from this morning. We're going to kind of take it verse by verse, which is commonplace for us at Wildwood. But I want to start with simply, if you are among the contingent that think, man, my story is really not that great. What Paul has just done is he stepped into our world and essentially said, hey, I regret to inform you of something. That before you had stepped into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you were completely and totally incapable. In fact, you were spiritually dead. Well, how dead was I? Well, Paul will go on and begin to unpack that in a number of ways. He'll say, you are so dead that sin was the normal method of operation in your life, that all you did was sin, that that was your default. He will say, not only that, but it was you following the course of this world. This is simply that we believe the world has fallen, is now under power of Satan, and that we are involved in sin. And that's what verses 1 and 2 say. Read this with me. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So Paul says this about all of our past. In each of our past, we lived in, we breathed in, we were inundated by sin. In fact, we enjoyed it. It's what we knew, it's what we did, and we were all involved in it. But he goes a step further. He says not only were we involved in sins, but he says you were partnered with the prince of the power of the air. That's just Bible speak for Satan himself. That literally not only were we engaged in sin, not only were we inundated by it, not only was it our method of operating in our lives, but we were literally joining hands with Satan himself and moving out his vision for this world, that we did his bidding, that we were in relationship with him, that we were in communion with him. Now, I want to stop for just a minute and draw these two verses together and ask you this question. Is your story dark and dangerous enough for you? Is it dark enough that all you could do is sin, you were stuck in it, and you enjoyed it? All you could do was the sin of this world, but not only that, you were partnered with, you were in communion with Satan. The original rebel, you were in rebellion with him. Are you seeing it? That's dark. But not only is it dark, it's dangerous. You're in rebellion against who? God, the creator of all things. All of us, at one point in our past, in our history, is we were in rebellion against God. So God looks down and says, you guys are rebels. So each of our past, we can essentially say this, or Paul says this about it, all of our past is dark and dangerous. All of our stories have elements of darkness, of danger. And what I love about Paul is Paul loves to stack things on top of each other. He doesn't just stop there. 
we'd say, okay, we got the point. We were sinners, partnered with Satan, bad stuff. But he goes on a step further and he says, not only were you a sinner, not only were you partnered with Satan and bringing about his bidding to the world, but you were so dead that your flesh was spoiled. Look at this, verse three. Among whom we all once lived, everyone pre-Christ, this is who he's speaking to, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath. This is what theologians would refer to as total depravity. Now, in working with students, we try to take away the kind of Christian lingo because it's not often that we use the word depravity in everyday conversations, so we replace depravity with brokenness. We call this total brokenness. And what total brokenness is is essentially that before humanity stepped into or had opportunity to step into a relationship with Christ, we would run from God instead of run to him. This is why the song, it, it kind of works me up and gives me chills every time we sing it when it says, we're running into your arms. Because before we stepped into a relationship with Jesus, we could not do that. Why? Because we were totally and completely broken. There was not enough glue in this world to put us back together. And it happened from the second that we were born. Now, I'll admit, I have a hard time with that, or I used to. My first daughter, when she was born, I held her in, in my hands, and I thought, she, she can do no wrong. Now she's a three-year-old. She, she can very well do plenty of wrong. In fact, uh, last week, my wife was in one room, and my kids were in the other, and she is listening to them play, and then all of a sudden, there's a bit of a skirmish, and she hears my daughter say to my son, Eddie, I'm going to punch you in your face. Now, I'll, I will give her credit that at least she gave him warning, enough time for him to kind of bum rush her if he wanted to, but where did that come from? I promise you, she's not seen it from Michelle and I. Michelle has never come up to me and said, Jeremy, I'm going to punch you in your face just hasn't happened. She comes up and says, I love you, and you're great. And that, uh, but anyways, it hasn't happened. And she didn't get it from TV because we don't have cable or direct TV or any of that stuff. We do let them watch Curious George, but I mean, it's George. He's mischievous, but he's good, right? So where did it come from? Total brokenness, depravity. And this is why Paul will speak to us and say, at one point, every one of us, or maybe you, if you have not stepped into a relationship with Jesus, are still here, were a child of wrath. That's who we were. That's our story. I've got a birthday coming up on July 12th, hint, hint, but the card that I don't want to receive from my father is a card that says, hey, happy birthday, son, you little child of wrath. But that was our situation. That was our story. And Paul, we have to ask, okay, Paul, we've seen it. You've stacked it up pile upon pile. We're bad. We're sinful. We can do no right. We are separated from God. In fact, we're not just separated. We're joining in hands with Satan himself. What are you trying to tell us? Well, what Paul is trying to tell us is a key point in scripture that you cannot miss. And that's simply that not only were we children of wrath, but we were condemned by the wrath. Now, wait a minute, Jeremy. What, I got the child of wrath condemned by wrath. What, what are you talking about? 
Well, just as we sin against a holy God, so we will be judged by a holy God. And that makes sense based on the context in which we live in, right? We want a just God just like we want a just judge. We want a God who condemns lawlessness just like we want a judge who condemns lawlessness. And so God steps in and he does the exact and just thing that we want an exact and just judge to do. He condemns our sin, our rebellion, to eternity of torment and separation from him. That is the price of our rebellion. Now, some people will say, Jeremy, that's not really a loving God. Why would a loving God separate? Well, then are we not a loving society for putting people in prison? No. Some will also have the problem, well, I don't get it. If, if God says you can either have eternal torment or you get me, that's not really a choice, is it? It's kind of a forced decision. No, it's a choice. It's just easy. It's like my son loves to run in the street. So I give him a choice. You can run in the street and bad things are going to happen. You will feel a pain like you've never felt before. Or you can stay here with me. The choice is there. It's just an easy choice. This is our trajectory. This is what Paul is using our verses to stack up against us. This was our heading. But that's not the end of our story, and it doesn't have to be the end of yours. Paul shifts gears here in verse 4, and he says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Kind of goes on a tangent here. By grace you have been saved. Comes back, verse 6, And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Is that not the most amazing turning point of any story you've ever heard? I mean, Paul has spent three very long and uncomfortable verses stacking up our sin and our desperate uh, situation before God, that we were sinners, that we could do no right, that we were linked with Satan, only to say, but God, being rich in his mercy, steps in to rescue us. If you were to ever ask me, hey, explain the gospel to me in as few words as possible, I would say that's easy. Ephesians 2 verse 4, but God. Because we need to understand that if there is no but God, then you and I are in a whole heck of a lot of trouble, aren't we? But God. And really, it's but God that separates Christianity from every other world religion in the world. In fact, there's really two different uh, phases that all other world religions will fall into. The first one will fall in, if you're good enough, then you can gain an audience with God. Christianity says, nope, why? You're not good enough. So the other set of religions will fall into a different category. If you're religious enough, then you can gain an audience with God. If you do enough works, if you are involved in enough sacrifices, if you go to worship enough, if you have enough small groups, if you're involved in enough Christian or whatever, worldly thing or spiritual things, then you can have a relationship with God. Christianity says, looks at that and says, nope, not gonna work either. Why? Because you can't be holy enough. But God. You guys see it? 
Are you with me? This is our story. And so let me ask you this. How does he do it? How does he rescue us? Well, he sends his only begotten son who lives a perfect and blameless life in which we could not do. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, except for Christ. He lives a life, drops the ball none as we drop the ball often. And because he lives a perfect life, he can go to the cross in substitution of our sins. He takes it on our himself. So the death that we should have died for the wages of sin is death. He takes on himself so that you and I, listen to this, you and I can have this amazing transaction at the cross. That you and I can now step into a relationship with Jesus and not just Jesus, but the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, God himself. We are in relationship with them because of the cross. But God, I don't quite understand it. It's a bit of a mystery to me how it all works out. But somehow when you step into a relationship with God, God no longer sees you, but he sees Christ. So in a very real and spiritual way, when Christ dies on the cross for our sins, we die on the cross for our sins. When Christ raises again on the third day, sinless, we rise again with him on the third day, sinless. And when he catches, when he ascends into heaven to sit at the right hand of the throne of God to rule, we ascend into heaven with him to sit on the right hand of the God of heaven. How? We are in Christ. Is that not just the most amazing turning point that any story could have? And yet it's our turning point. It's our story. And this is what Paul does. Again, he stacked up the negative, now he's going to stack up the positive. He says, not only has he set you with him in heaven, not only are you now called sons and daughters of the ruler, the God of the universe, the creator of all things, but he says, God has done this so that, check out verse seven, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Are you kidding me? I mean, this is like the ultimate lottery, is it not? We just got everything. So the student who comes up to me and says, my story's not really that great, he begins to play this conversation that I'm having with you back to me. He says, so you're telling me I was deep in sin, my sin's just as bad as the other sins that everyone else talked about, and I could do nothing. I was completely and totally broken. Yes. My trajectory was away from God. My trajectory was actually eternal punishment and separation from God. Yes. And you're telling me that God saw that, steps in as a rescuer to my situation, and through Jesus Christ, not only am I now adopted into the family, but I am now ruling with him. And not only am I now ruling with him, but for all eternity, God is going to lavish upon me riches and grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Maybe that's why they call it heaven. Maybe that's why they call it heaven. And generally at this point, they will say, I do have a great story. My story is worth telling. 
But what I love about Paul is he knows, man, he knows us. You read any of his letters, he gets us. He's one of us. And he knows the second that we begin to be drawn into this relationship, begin to understand the weight of this relationship, be understand that we're now rulers receiving riches upon riches, that we as humans, what we are tempted to do is begin to take credit for it. And that's why in verses eight and nine, he says, hey, 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 I know what you're doing here. Hold on, verse eight. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no man may boast. Paul comes at us once again and says, but God. Is this not the greatest story you've ever heard? It's really the story that all of our movies, books, everything that we hear are off of this story. It's a story of uh, desperation. It's a story of hopelessness. It's a story of being cast aside. It's a story of redemption of a rescuer stepping into our situation, pulling us out and setting us into a great and better situation than we can ever imagine. And so I wanna conclude with simply asking you this, what do you do with good movies? You generally tell people about them. I know before I go into a theater which movie I'm seeing and which movie I'm not seeing. Why? Because someone's told me about the good one. What do you do with the books that you read that have impacts on your life. You do what? You tell someone. And what do you do with the stories that you hear? You tell them. And this is the greatest story that God could give you. And so if you've ever thought for a moment that your story's not good enough, it is your greatest story. It's God's story given to you. We don't need to dress it up with the gritty details of sin and destruction in our life. You don't need lightsabers or unicorns or ponies. Actually, you can keep the unicorns if you can work them in. But you don't need those things. Why? Because that's not the focus of our story. The focus is but God. And so I want to challenge you as we move out here, as the worship band comes up to uh, play our last worship song I want to challenge each, I'm challenging myself to do this exact same. If this is the greatest story that we could ever tell, if it is only believers in Jesus Christ who can tell this story, I hope that in this last song and these closing moments that you would come up with someone in your sphere of influence. When you return, when you leave these doors, that this week you will engage with your story. And understand it's going to be absolutely terrifying. But NBA players and NFL players and pro athletes never get to become pro athletes because they one day just walked out and picked up a ball and someone was like, hey, you're on my team. No, it took practice. But that we would engage the world with this story. Can you imagine the stories we would have on top of our stories if all of us took this story to our spheres of influence? I mean, God will change the world through us. And that's the story of Scripture. That's our story, and it's your story. Let me pray for us. Father, it's because of you and only you that we're even able to sit in this room and approach your throne through worship, through time in the word, through prayer. God, and you hear us. Why? Because you stepped in and rescued us through your son who paid 
it all. God, I pray that we as believers in this room, that we would remember this amazing, life-changing transaction that we all have at the cross. Taken from death to life. Taken from hopelessness to hope. From despair to joy. Man, we even begin to get our minds around that story, man. We will, we will tell it all the time. And I pray that that would be our stories and that we would do that. And if you're in this room and you haven't stepped into that relationship, I, I pray that you would make the easy choice. And that's simply to say, God, I can't do it. I've tried it. Every other world religion has given me a way to do it, whether that be through religious deeds or good deeds. And I can't do it. I can't hold up under this pressure. I choose but God. I choose you as my rescuer. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you, Jeremy. Let's stand together. Let's sing to the one who's paid it all and given each of us a great story.